Hi, and welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. My name's Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently a board-certified behavior analyst working at a private center. The whole goal of this podcast is to help you with balance. So you'll have some episodes helping you at work and other episodes helping you outside of work. I hope you guys are excited to dive into today's episode. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're talking about BCBA ethics. But to clarify, this is not a deep dive into the ethics of a behavior analyst. This podcast is meant to help you study for the test. When I was studying for the test, I did not think I needed to worry about ethics. I thought, I'm a pretty ethical person. If I read a scenario, I'm obviously going to know what to answer. I didn't. Ethics are hard. So after I didn't pass the test the first time, I already had the Ethics for Behavior Analysts by Bailey and Birch book, but I got the matching workbook. It's analyzing ethic questions from behavior analysts, and it mirrors the ethics test, but what they actually do is look at questions that behavior analysts have submitted, and they give responses based off of the code. I had done quizzes over on my Instagram. This podcast is just putting all of those into one short little episode that you can listen to if you're studying for the test to kind of refresh yourself on the answers. So again, I am not telling you what to do in your practice. I am not an ethics expert by any means. I'm simply running through the same questions I worked through when I was studying for the test and then passed to help you guys kind of look at how we probably want to be answering those questions when we see them on the exam. So if that sounds helpful, this is the podcast for you. Let's dive right into the first question. And by the way, you'll always see me do a pause. Well, you won't see me because you're listening, <laughs> but you'll always hear me do a pause after the question. That's to give you a little bit of time to think about your answer before I supply it. So it really is meant for you to be kind of like interactive and testing your own knowledge as you get ready for the test. So let's dive into the very first question. If an advocacy group or a parent group approaches you and asks you to give a presentation, can you do it? The answer is yes, but with stipulations. So presenting is actually encouraged in our code. We want to share our science, but there are two caveats to that. A big thing that you're going to see in the ethics code is that we cannot manipulate a vulnerable parent. If a parent comes to our presentation at will, that's totally fine. But you cannot approach them and ask them to come because that's soliciting business. And that is a big no-no in our field. Another caveat, we don't want someone to come to our presentation and then think that they're equipped to run a procedure on a dangerous behavior. So be careful what you present on. For example, I would not do a presentation on using extinction procedures on dangerous, aggressive, or self-injurious behaviors because that's really not something that anybody can do. If I were to do a presentation, I would do something more like non-contingent reinforcement, something that's a, a lot more simple and more realistic for an everyday person to try and use in their home. So just be careful about what your presentation topic is on. Our next question, you're working with a child in a school and you see another child in the classroom that you think could really use ABA services. Do you think it's appropriate for you to reach out to that parent and say, hey, 
I saw your child in class today and I think they could really benefit from ABA. Again, this one is a no because it ties right back into that vulnerable parent. I kind of thought about when I was working through this question, it's the same as that DM I used to get that would say, hey girl, you should join my fitness group so I can help you lose those extra 15 pounds. I always found that really unsettling because at no point on social media did I talk about wanting to lose weight. And to get a DM from a complete stranger saying like, hey, I can tell you're fat and you need to lose weight was just not okay. It, this is the same thing. To walk up to a parent and say, hey, your child has autism. Your child has behavioral concerns and needs therapy. It's very invasive. It's very aggressive. You might feel like you're coming from the right place, but it is a huge no-no because, again, it's tying into that vulnerable parent concept. So if you see a question that says anything like that on the exam, your brain is going to think about that DM, that Hey Girl DM, and you're going to say, that's a no for me. Our next question. This one was an example that I had used when I was sitting for the test. So I was already at the center that I was going to be a BCBA at. I had worked as a therapist. I had already been approved to take the test. I was just waiting for my testing date. Was it okay for me to start using the term behavior analyst to say, hi, I'm Nicole, I'm a behavior analyst? Absolutely not. You cannot use that term until you are certified. Saying you're a behavior analyst implies that you're a board certified behavior analyst. You can't even say that you're a future BCBA can't use the BCBA logo. So if I had passed the test and my husband had got me a cake with the BCBA logo on it, that would be an ethics code violation. So again, if you see a question like that, just think, no, I cannot imply at all that I'm a behavior analyst until I pass the test. All right, our next question. Let's say you get a speeding ticket. Do you think you need to report that to the board? This one is a little bit tricky. So if the speeding ticket is caught on a red light camera or a parking ticket, or you are named in it, but it's under $750, your client was not in the car and not in danger, and you didn't violate anything else in the code, you don't need to worry about it. If the fee of the speeding ticket is over $750, you got a DUI, you had a client in the car that was endangered, or any health and safety concern, you do need to report it. So again, we're looking at this for answering questions on the exam. In real practice, if I wasn't sure, I would go to other BCBAs to get advice. But on the test, this is kind of what we're gonna think about if we see a question asking about a speeding ticket. Our next question, let's say I'm working at a center and I decide to leave that center and start my own business and I pull a client with me. Can I get testimony from that family to put on my website about how much they love getting therapy with me? This is a no because it puts unfair pressure on the family. It will probably make the family feel like, oh, we need to give a glowing review to ensure that we continue to get quality therapy. It creates what's called a dual relationship. You'll see questions about dual relationships a lot on the exam. It's not appropriate and it's not fair to create that dual relationship or that conflict of interest. So 
you cannot ask a family that you're serving to give you a testimony to put on your website. Now, it can be done with former clients, but there's a lot of stipulations. And again, that ethics workbook really dives into all of those. So if it's an area that you really want to learn more about, the workbook is a great place to refer to. And again, for the purpose of the test, it's a no. All right, this is one that was really hard for me. If you're a school-based BCBA, what is more important? Is it your school's rules or your district's rules or is it your code of ethics? The first time I took the test, I was very much in the mindset of, I'm a rule follower, so if my boss, my district is telling me to do this, this is what I have to do. However, technically, the code says that if it violates the code, you say no. The board will tell you that your code of ethics is more important than anything else. In fact, they would tell you to leave a job if, they, if you felt like the job was having you violate your code of ethics. Again, when I was looking at questions like this, I was like, I would never tell my boss no. And again, I didn't pass the test. So we're looking at the code of ethics is the most important thing if you see a question like this. Our next question, let's say I had done supervision at a school and I got hired in an elementary school to be a BCBA. Now I taught self-contained autism for six years. What if the district had told me, hey, you were hired to be a BCBA, but you still have your active teaching license and you have experience. Can you help out with curriculum as well? The answer is no, because if you're working as a BCBA, you need to be doing work that is behavior analytic in nature. Helping with curriculum is not. Now, if you happen to be a BCBA, but your title at the district is something different, like a consulting teacher, you can. It just comes down to whether or not you're actually hired to be a BCBA. If you're hired to be a BCBA, then you can only do behavior analytic work. All right, let's dive into the next question. We're going to make this really simple. Nobody is in danger. Nobody is getting harmed. Let's say a therapist comes to a training and they walk out of it thinking they're an RBT and they start using the title. Do I just tell them like, hey, you're not actually an RBT yet, you can't use that title, or do I report them to the board because technically they're using a title that they haven't earned? What do you think? You don't need to report it right away. Pull them aside and talk about it. It could be an honest mistake. If that person drops it and says, I'm so sorry, I did not realize I wasn't an RBT, I won't use that anymore, it's no big deal. If she won't drop it, you'll want to document it and then go to her supervisor. Now, if it still doesn't change, you'll want to document it again and then you go to the board. So eventually, we do have to report stuff like that to the board, but it's okay to try and just take care of it at a base level before working through the whole chain. Okay, our next question is an example of something that actually happened to me. So my speech therapist that I had in my classroom for five years became the private speech therapist for one of my clients. I had a phone call scheduled with her. It should have taken about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. That's what I told the family. But I ended up chatting with her for over an hour because 
We'd worked together for five years. It was a little bit of a walk down memory lane, chatting about a lot of different things. Is it ethical for me to bill the family for an hour because I was on the phone for an hour? No, it's not. I cannot bill for an hour. According to the ethics workbook, they actually said that we probably wouldn't bill for like a 10-minute consultation phone call anyways. But the only reason that call went for an hour is because she and I had so much history and we were just talking about so many things. The parents have no way of controlling how long the phone call went for and we need to make sure our fees are very upfront so it's not fair to make them pay for that. And I also am kind of thinking about I'm not usually a chatty person, but I definitely know other people can strike up a lively conversation with a complete stranger. So it's not really fair for a BCBA who could, you know, talk to a brick wall to bill a family for an hour because she talked a ton with a related service provider. We need to be billing for the work that we do that is directly behavior analytic related to that client in nature. So Again, if you see a question like that, just kind of keep this whole scenario in mind. This next question, I think is going to be cut and dry, but when I asked this on social media, I got so many DMs. So is it okay to post pictures of kids on the company Facebook? I want you guys to remember this. Absolutely no. I want you to remember this. Absolutely no. I want you to remember this. The answer is absolutely no. The reason why I repeated that three times is the first time I asked this question, the number of DMs I got saying, if you have written consent, it's fine. It's not. Again, I am not telling you what to do in your practice, but I'm telling you, if you see a question like that on the exam and your answer is anything but no, absolutely not, you will get that question wrong. The goal of this podcast is to help you pass the BCPA test. The answer is always going to be no on the test. The board does not care about written consent. The board does not care about your company policy. The board does not care about what you believe. The answer is no. This is why it gets complicated. Ethics are not black and white, but the board and the test treat it as black and white. So you've just got to remember, throw out everything you know about written consent, throw out everything you know about interacting with families, if you're asked a question about posting pictures of kids on the company Facebook, your answer is going to be absolutely no. All right, let's move to another question that kind of is a repeat of what we had earlier. So we talked about me opening my own company. When we talked earlier, it was about pulling a client. This time I'm recruiting a therapist from my old clinic to come work at the new clinic that I opened. Can I get her to write a review or testimony about how much she loves working for me? The answer is no, because it puts her in an uncomfortable position and it's not fair to ask of her. Again, we're kind of looking at that dual relationship. And although they don't necessarily use the term vulnerable in this instance, the way they do with a vulnerable parent, it's the same idea. It makes her vulnerable. It makes her feel like if she doesn't write a glowing review, she won't get to keep her job. So that's a no. Our next question is a little bit more complicated. Let's say you think there's an ethics violation, but it's all hearsay. You've never seen it. Can you report it? 
So this is where it gets a little tricky because if the client is in imminent danger, there's suspected abuse, something like that, you have to go to your local authority. But if it's not endangering clients directly, like it's fraudulent billing, you have to have proof before you go to the board. You can't just go to the board and say like, hey, I heard that this BCB is doing fraudulent billing. You have to have proof to back it up, which is why you really should be documenting everything just in case. All right, here's another tough one that, again, when I was using my teacher brain, I had a hard time adjusting to. Let's say you're working in a school and the parent refuses for you to write an FBA or a BIP, but the school says, hey, we're the ones that pay your salary. You are a BCBA for us and we're telling you to make, do a BIP. What do you do? All right, all my former teachers, we're going to turn our teacher brain off together. Think as a BCBA. If you don't have written consent, you cannot do an FBA or a BIP. The code tells you that you should quit your job if they force you. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you that if you see a question on the test that references a scenario like this, you're going to say, no, I cannot do that without parent consent. All right. Here's our next one. Your client is showing signs of a mental health concern and it's not in your scope of competency. Can you recommend that they get psychological evaluations? All right, we are gonna look at ethics 2.03 consultation because this was another one that was tricky for me. Behavior analysts arrange for appropriate consultations or referrals based principally on the best interests of their client. So this one is a yes. An example would be to refer a child with signs of obsessive compulsive disorder to a psychiatrist. Why this gets tricky is do not work into, walk into work on Monday and say, hey, I think you have anxiety and you need therapy. That's not what we're talking about. But what we're doing is if we're working with a client and we realize our interventions are not working because they need psychological or psychiatric help, it's not ethical to say, mm, but I'm going to try anyways, because we are not trained to help with obsessive compulsive disorder. So it is appropriate for us to do a consultation. Now, if you've listened to my podcast for a while, you probably know this. I have anxiety myself. I have an anxiety disorder and I've gotten psychological services. Now, does that put it in my scope of competency because I am somebody that has that? The answer is no, it is not in my scope of competency because I don't have any training to help people with anxiety. I have just gotten help as somebody with anxiety. It's not the same. And so scopes of competency come from where we've had professional training, not personal experience. So I thought that might be helpful to kind of lock in your brain, professional training versus personal experience. Your scope of competency are things that you have done professionally. Another example, I was a teacher for six years, but being a school-based BCBA is not within my scope of competency because I have not professionally studied being a BCBA in a school. I would need to get additional support if I wanted to take a job like that. Your scope of competency comes from where you have studied. 
all of my supervision and work has been in a clinic, so that is within my scope of competency. All right, let's go into another question that pops up in a school. Let's say you're working in a school and there's a fire drill and the child won't leave the building. And the school says, we don't want you to move the child out of the building because that's gonna reinforce the behavior. What do you think comes first? The fire drill protocol or the behavior protocol? This one is gonna be the fire drill. It is confusing, but our code talks about integrity and following the locals, laws, and guidance of our community, and safety concerns are gonna come before behavior protocols. So in a scenario like this, the board would tell you that you need to move the child out of the building to comply with the fire drill protocol. That is gonna be more important than your behavior protocol. We're down to our last, I believe, three or four questions. We're almost there. So our next one, let's say you have a lot of experience using the VB map. You're very proficient with it. You understand how to use it. You do a lot of programming for it. So you say, I'm a VB map VCBA. That's the only assessment that I use. Is that okay to say? Is it okay to just specialize in one assessment? The answer is no, it's unethical. The VB map is not appropriate to use with a 15-year-old with a lot of verbal skills. Just like the AFOLs, it's not appropriate to use with a two-year-old. Your assessments need to be customized and tailored to your client. All right, let's go to another tricky one. Parents are going through a divorce and the dad wants you to come and vouch that he's better at following behavior protocols and he wants you to help him get full custody of the child. Is it ethical for you to help? For the most part, try and avoid getting involved in custody battles. There are multiple parts of the code that reference why this is not a good idea. Again, if this is something that you're really interested in, this was a scenario in that student workbook, and they give a much more lengthy answer, citing a bunch of different parts of the code to help you figure that out. But again, just for testing sake, it's going to be a no, we're not going to help in a custody battle. All right, another question. This one is looking at social media. My name is Nicole Marie. I was born in 1990. If you couldn't tell, I have a very 90s name. My name is Nicole Marie. On social media, could I make my Facebook page say Marie Nicole and use the credential BCBA? Is that an ethics violation or not? This one was surprising to me until I thought about it. Yes, that is an ethics violation. You need to use the name you were certified under if you're using the BCBA credential. Here's an example. Let's say a woman on Facebook has a fake name and she's using the BCBA credential. And she's in parent groups saying that vaccines cause autism and we should not be vaccinating kids so we can get rid of autism. No one could report her to the board because no one knew what name she was credentialed under. So it is an ethical violation to put a fake name and the BCBA credential together. Now again, you can use whatever name you want on social media. So if you wanna go by a fake name or just a different version of your name, just don't put that you're a BCBA. 
If you're going to say that you're a BCBA on social media, you need to use the name that your BCBA title is credentialed under to avoid scenarios like this. And let's dive into the last question. We know that as behavior analysts, we follow evidence-based procedures. Let's say you're on a school team and they're using something that's not evidence-based. Is it ethical for you to take data on behavior change? The workbook says this is kind of a last resort, so we don't want to do the not evidence-based procedure, but it would be appropriate for us to take data on the behavior because that's what we do anyways, that's within our scope of competency. This is the best way that we continue to support the client. So the idea is that we don't want to be a jerk, but we also don't want to do something that's not evidence-based. So we can take data no matter what's going on because that's within our scope of competency. I hope that makes sense. And again, this podcast was a little bit longer than most of my podcasts, but it's really designed to help you work through a ton of scenarios to help you if you are studying for the exam. I hope this was helpful. Those workbooks are linked in the show notes and good luck. Trying to pass the test is difficult, but you'll get there. I got there. It's a good feeling to have it behind you. You can always reach out to me on Instagram and I'll catch you guys in the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you guys found something useful and you can always come visit me on Instagram at Adaptation Station for more content all about work and life. I hope you guys join me for the next episode and have a good one.